listening to the quarter to three games podcast my name is tom chick and my game of the week is not anarchy online oh wow all right hi i'm jason mcmaster and my game of the week is not everquest now, Eric, here's where we once again have neglected to explain to our guests yeah. how the intro works. <laughs> so, uh, so Eric, pretend that uh, pretend that we told you before that now here's where you say who you are and then randomly pick something that's not your game of the week. Sure. Yeah, I've actually listened to you guys before, so I was I was kind of in on that. But uh, uh, my name is Eric Flanham, and my game of the week is not Call of Duty Two. Oh come on! But it's, it's like World War Two, and it's got Nazis in it, and uh, very retro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, Eric, for a couple of reasons, uh, McMaster and I feel it's a bit of a coup to have you here today. One of the reasons is, uh, and I just want to. Sometimes I put myself in other people's shoes, and I just can't help but think that if I was you, every morning when I would like get up in the morning, the first thing I would think is uh, is something like. Damn, I'm the guy that made sacrifice. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not sure that's what I think. I think, um, I think, uh, when do we ship? I, <laughs> there's so much to do. Uh, that's more what I'm thinking. But, uh, but you, yeah, that's that's very nice of you to say. You've you've got another great big project that I can imagine is at the front of your at the forefront of your mind at this point. But before we get to that, McMaster and I totally have to bug you about sacrifice a little bit. Sure, sure, uh, absolutely. Now. When uh, so, wait, it's sacrifice. Gosh, eleven? Is it two thousand one? Is it eleven years old now? Uh, yeah, it's pretty close to it. I mean, I think I started working on it in um, nineteen ninety nine or two thousand, and and uh, yeah, I think it released in two thousand one. So it's it's getting up there. Now, do you know firsthand how how well it holds up? Um, I have haven't. I booted it up about you know a couple of years ago and and tried playing it. Um, I have a really hard time playing things that I've worked on because I tend to see all the flaws and wish I could do something about them, and I, I can't anymore. So, um, but I haven't played it recently. But um, I imagine with the you know the art style and everything, it holds up fairly well for an eleven year old game. So, you know, I think you're being awfully modest, and that fair enough. But uh, not not just fairly well. I mean, the the art is great, but the animation is great. The gameplay. I mean, I cannot. I I would be hard pressed to come up with many 11 year old games that I can boot up and and they can just be that as good as they were when I first started playing them. Uh, I think it holds up fantastically. Now, when when you uh, when you were making Sacrifice, would you have called it an RTS? Like, how would you have explained? the game and did you have a sense that it was kind of weird and genre busting yeah i mean we we definitely knew it was really a strange game um not only you know the the way it played and the way it looked i mean there was there was almost not much about that game that wasn't strange um and and i think we used to describe it as an action rts mm-hmm. um kind of the way you know you have action rpgs nowadays um and I, you know that's not something that has sort of stuck um, because you know RTSs are already real time and a little bit actiony, but but yeah, that was kind of how we termed it. So, um, and it was a very very different um, kind of mindset that you had to get in right in order to play it. 
Did did the weirdness of the world do you think uh, hurt you guys at all? I don't mean hurt, but um, do, do you feel that it was any sort of a, a barrier for for uh, for people to more casual people to get into, or do you think it was an asset? Do you think it helped? Um, yeah, you know, I I think the uh, the weirdness. Uh, it it definitely turned some people off. I mean, one of the one of the most common comments that I got um, was, uh, you know, that it was they start somebody started playing and it was just a little too extreme for them. Um, but but I think at the same time, um, embracing that weirdness is what allowed it to be what it was. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's it's good and both good and bad. Um, had had we been able to, you know, kind of come up with the same thing and. And maybe put something that was a little bit more familiar onto it. I think I think maybe it could have done a little bit better. I think there were a lot of reasons why it kind of didn't reach um, a broader audience than it did. Um, one of those things was definitely kind of how out there it was. Um, but there were you know other other factors involved as well. I would argue though that, that that's part of what makes it so enduring is that weirdness. Is there's there's really nothing like it. It's not your typical fantasy universe. It's not you know it's not just like Greek mythology or something like that. I mean it really is. It's own thing and one of the things that i was just so pleased to discover when i went back and played it by the way instead of going to e3 one day this year i was like forget e3 i'm gonna stay home and play an old game i haven't played in a while and i ended up whipping out sacrifice uh and i was just so dis- il- delighted to discover just how weird and unfamiliar and in a way fresh the setting was it wasn't like anything else i'd seen you know these different gods there, there was a lot there that was like greek mythology you know the squabbling gods talking to each other and taunting each other um but it didn't feel derivative of greek mythology it was just kind of a familiar structure but each god was kind of his own weird funky thing uh and i also don't think i remembered how direct a nod to earthworm jim uh <laughs> the earth god was even down to like his name yeah yeah james the god of earth yeah yeah, yeah i must have been pretty <laughs> thick to have missed that i don't know how that happened uh but I, anyway I, I just think that weirdness is part of why it holds up as well today as, as it did 11 years ago so I'm, I'm so glad you guys did it that way yeah, and I mean that was a very shiny thing at the time, right? Like by by shiny, I mean the company obviously. Yeah. The yeah. you know, um, they were they were very much into. I think the game that they'd shipped right. Well, they'd shipped Messiah right before then, but before that was um, you know Wild Nine, and things like that. And and they had, you know, that was kind of the thing at shiny, and that was you know embrace the weirdness. Um, <laughs> And so, uh, you know, that was very much the culture at the company at the time was, um, hey, let's let's create weird things and not worry about whether they're very niche or, or things like that. And that can be really fun to do. So uh, what kind of sacrifice swag is still in existence? Like, for instance, how far would I have to look on eBay to find like did, did there ever exist a little mana whore figurine? Not, not to my knowledge. No, um, I think the the closest you're going to get to that are um, posters and shirts. I think that was the only swag that we really, really had. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think there were any figurines or anything like that made. Um, although you never know. Sometimes those things get made and you, you don't know they exist. Um, I still see things from like Guild Wars that. Um, were made in Europe um, by you know NC Europe and and I'll see them and I, when did we make that and it, you know it's completely completely weird <laughs> right uh, what I'm just curious when you it, as a person who's kind of critical of stuff that you've made when you look at sacrifice what sort of things do you see that you're like darn I wished I'd done that differently I, I kind of um, I kind of hate to call yeah. you out on perceived flaws because I I'd rather yeah. just talk about what's great about yeah, it but, yeah. I, but what what sort of things are you like ah, I should have done that differently. 
I mean, I think one of the things that we didn't do, um, and this is, you know, kind of a product of the time, but there were games that were coming out that were using the more traditional um, WASD where A and D were strafe. Um, and, you know, Sacrifice uses more of the, the turn right, right. Um, kind of thing. And so I, I think going to more of that kind of control scheme um, controls and then, you know, there have been... Um, uh, lots of advancements in sort of RTS UI over the years and, you know, taking some of those advancements, you know, with minimap and, and stuff like that would be, would be pretty cool to be able to do. The UI stuff, I'm definitely down with you there, namely in terms of tooltips. Like, I would love to be able to, within the context of the game, find out a little bit more about what the different units do uh, rather than having to go to the manual, which is what you clearly have to do. I mean, sacrifices from a time when people read manuals. So if yeah. I want to know specifics about what those little powers are, what the advantages are of different units, I definitely have to crack open the manual, whereas these days we're just used to looking at a tooltip or a help screen or something. Um, yeah. But I will say, okay, so I'm glad you mentioned the strafe thing, because, and I don't know if this is just me coming up with a rationale to defend a game that I love, but <laughs> I kind of feel like, just like in, a, in some of the later Resident Evil games where you have a vulnerability where you can't move and shoot and you have to plant and yourself and then shoot and, and it makes you feel uh, a little bit more limited in what you can do, I, I kind of like that I have to decide where my guy is going to stand in Sacrifice to look at a battle and do his spells and can't just like crazily strafe back and forth. Because I play so many MMOs where I'm constantly like strafing, you know, Q&A or whatever. Uh, and I kind of like that limitation of my little general in, in sacrifice. So, again, maybe that's just a rationalization, but please don't add strafing. <laughs> well, well, I can't add anything now. but uh, <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we, we talked about it a lot at the time, and oh. it came down to um, uh, that was one of the rationales that we used, actually, um, for it. But I think the, the bigger thing was we just didn't have um, sort of the bandwidth. To, it was a very small team, and we didn't have the bandwidth to um, to actually implement that stuff. And so, um, you know, I I think um, the the big um, part of what you're talking about, I think it's definitely very very much a thing that that the the game wants to put you in that position of battlefield commander, and we restrict what you can see and all of that. And and I don't think that the strafing um, bit, if we had allowed you to strafe or we'd allowed you a little bit more freedom of movement, I think what that might have done is helped a few more people who were maybe t a little bit turned off by the game get into it a little bit more. And I think it, it wouldn't have completely destroyed that sense of you being the battlefield commander, which I think was really, really important part of the game. Right. Um, and um, I think we could have we could have done both of those things, I think. Um, but, you know, it's it's all hindsight anyway, so... Did anyone do? Was Sacrifice a game that was ever uh, modded or tinkered with that you know of? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I'm, okay. I'm sure someone has done something, but I haven't seen anything like that out okay. there for it. Uh, McMaster, did you log any Sacrifice time by any chance? Uh, quite a while ago, though. I have fired it up recently and was playing with it last night, thanks to good old games um, release. And uh, yeah, it's still a very attractive game. McMaster, are you with me that sacrificing would make it too friendly for noobs? I mean the sacrificing, the strafing. Yeah, strafing. Yeah, the hell you're talking about. <laughs> uh, the, the strafing would just make it too easy for noobs to play. And uh, are you with me on that, McMaster? Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> why not? I'll help you justify it. You know, why not? Uh, now, so you mentioned that it's on good old games, uh, McMaster. Uh, mm -hmm. I... I and I'm so glad that's on there because so many, like, 
I don't think there are a lot of interplay games that, actually I don't know about a lot, but I know that several interplay games have just kind of vanished. Uh, and I'm so glad to see that didn't happen with, with Sacrifice. So, still out there, I uh, recommend getting it, and um, join me and McMaster online. We'll have some multiplayer. Oh, uh, yes. So, since Sacrifice, you've been a little bit busy. Uh, you did a little uh, MMO called Guild Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, and since then, uh, you've been real busy lately. So, what I would like to do, Eric Flanham, is I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little role playing because it's a role playing game. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna role play a, a whiny MMO player, <laughs> and I want you to help sell this guy on uh, Guild Wars Two. Hey, you don't really have to role play. I mean, you kind of <laughs> just play yourself. Look, oh. I'm I'm very method, McMaster. There's a lot of method work that goes into this. Uh, All right. All right, so a lot of these will kind of be familiar to you, Eric, because I imagine that you guys have reacted very directly to some of them. Sure. Uh, so basically, I'm just sending you some softballs where you can tell us a little bit about uh, Guild Wars. <laughs> okay. Okay, okay, here you go. Here's my first. Uh, here's my 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 first complaint as whiny MMO guy. I, I I nobody in my party wants to be the healer. I'm sick of having to be the priest all the time. Okay, so what <laughs> what would you say to that dude? Uh, that's that's a pretty good one. That's a good whiny MMO player voice. I think that's the one everybody uses. It's universal. Yes. yes. Um, but uh, um, so I mean, I think the thing that we would say is um, for Guild Wars Two is that uh, we kind of do away with that whole Trinity thing and and um, rely instead on making each profession very versatile um, and giving you tools that you can then um, kind of use in your toolbox. Um, I think one of the one of the primary differences between um, our combat and what I've seen in, in MMOs typically, and not that there's anything wrong with typical MMO combat, but typical MMO combat tends to involve taking um, a single strategy, um, the strategy of tank healer and DPS, and imposing that upon every encounter that you encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in Guild Wars 2, instead we try to, um, and hopefully we succeeded, but we try to, give you a bunch of tools and let you kind of change those tools in and out. And then we give you situations in which you might want to use those tools. And so um, our combat exists more in kind of the space of, of, of uh, reacting to things instead of coming up with a plan beforehand and imposing that plan upon things. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. And, and because of that um, we don't, you know, necessarily need healers and tanks and DPS and all of those things. Now, one of the advantages of that, that model of the healer tank DPS is that it forces players into groups, and it sort of forces this cooperation and t- team-based play. It's a handy crutch for an MMO to say, you know what, rather than just uh, having 100 people playing a single-player game in the same world, we're going to force them into little groups of three or four people to where one person's weakness is uh, made up for by another per- person's strength. Uh, how difficult was it for you guys to get rid of that holy trinity, but still keep players, uh, encourage players to play in groups? Um, it, it hasn't actually been very difficult, to, to be perfectly honest. Um, and I think the reason is, if you go out and look at other games, there are more examples than I could probably count of games that don't have that trinity, yet somehow manage to, to have cooperative play. Um, like, you can look no further than, say, um, you know, Team Fortress 2 or, you know, any any team-based shooter. And um, those games typically don't have 
um, very strict, you know, tank healer DPS sorts of sorts of roles. They have player uh, characters who have different tools in their toolbox, and those tools are complementary. And then they have professions that have access to different tools, mm-hmm. um, and and they give you combat systems that are dynamic and where you react to the situation. And um, you know, I, I I mean, look at say Diablo three for example. Um, you don't necessarily have strict in the Diablo series period. You don't have strict um, tank healer DPS roles there, and you know people are able to have a pretty fun cooperative experience. So, um, so we really kind of just went out and looked at at other games and said, well, you know, if we can play these games and have fun, um, you know, why couldn't we make an MMO that does the same thing? Mm-hmm. Now, let me then give you another whiny MMO player complaint that I think also answers a little bit of that idea of like making sure players play together. Uh, and by the way, I'm speaking from the benefit of experience because I've had the good luck to play in one of the betas. So here's another softball for you, Eric. Ready for this? <laughs> sure. Yep. I don't I don't like MMOs because the worlds are static and nothing changes and I'm just running around killing these these fields of respawning mobs. There's no there's no dynamic events. <laughs> <laughs> that that was pretty softball. <laughs> that was that was that yeah, was, yeah, yeah. That was more um, like a, a t ball game kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let me let me put the ball on the tee and now you hit it. <laughs> okay. So um so yeah the uh, one of the other things and we had that we had that exact kind of um, reaction to it. And uh, one of the things that we do with dynamic events is we try to have them have some impact on the world. Um, sometimes that impact is very, very subtle, and sometimes it is um, not so subtle. So um, ways in which it's not so subtle is, you know, there are entire towns that can get um, taken over or flattened. Um, in, the, in the beta weekend events, for example, there's a, a town in the Char homeland that uh, is just constantly under attack from both human uh, separatists and a giant that, Basically, you'll go to the town and you'll just see, um, you know, when a, a guy, an NPC is down, we put a little skull and crossbones on the map. And you just see this field of skull and crossbones. And there's a giant, you know, kind of walking around in the town, smashing things down. And, you know, you don't get to use any of the merchants there. You don't get to you don't get to respawn there. You don't get to fast travel there until that giant's taken care of. Um, and then we have really subtle things, too, like um, we have. Uh, even in the in the starting human area, there's an event where there are rabbits that are eating watermelon in this uh, in this field, and if uh, players don't stop that, then the merchants run out of um, watermelon-based products to sell. <laughs> so, um, which you'd be surprised of how many of those there are. But uh, but yeah, so so that that's a very subtle thing that not a lot of people notice. Although you might, if you were a crafter and you were looking, um, you know, a cook and you were looking to go get some uh, some watermelon to make some, make a particular cooking recipe. Um, but you know, you'll really notice the town thing. But but the the point of it was that all of these things kind of you feel them. They have some consequence in the world, and they have consequence a lot of times not only for player success but for player failure. And um, what that means is. Uh, the world is always kind of in a different state. Whenever you get there, you never quite know what's going to be going on. That, that was one of the impressions I got from the beta, just running around and, and uh, you know, going back and forth through different areas and occasionally walking past an area where I'd done a quest the day before and something was completely different. Like that quest wasn't there and it made me want to look and see, well, what happened? What changed that makes it where that quest is different? Uh, it seems like it would have a lot more replayability in terms of running back and forth than the average MMO. Uh, so I, I really like how, what you guys are doing with that. Uh, l- let me give you another one. Okay. Uh, this one isn't such a softball because I'm actually not even, I, I think I know what the answer is, but I'm not entirely sure, but let me throw this okay. one at you. Okay. 
How come nobody can get PvP right? Gosh. Well, I, um, to be honest, I, I think um, a lot of times games that don't have good PvP, um, it's because the game wasn't developed with PvP in mind right from the beginning. Uh-huh. Um, I think you don't have to make your game a PvP game entirely, and I know sometimes Guild Wars 1 gets a rap of being primarily a PvP game, although there's an awful lot of PvE in it. Um, but I think you, in order to have good PvP, much like any feature in your game, you have to develop with it in mind right from the beginning. You have to think about your profession dynamics, and you have to think about how you're building your world if you're going to have um, you know, guys running out and you're around in your world PvPing. And I think if you're able to... Um, you know, take all those things into account, then you can do PvP right. But um, I think for a lot of games, unfortunately, PvP is a little bit more of an afterthought. Now, uh, one of one of the things that you guys did in Guild Wars 1 is there was a clear division where some skills were PvP skills, some were PvE. There was this idea that you would have a character that you played one way in PvE, but another way entirely in PvP. If I'm not mistaken, isn't that division pretty much gone in Guild Wars 2? Um, it's it's not entirely gone. It's it's kind of ninety percent gone. So in Guild Wars One, we actually had a completely distinct PvP character that you would make, um, and we did do away with that distinction. Now you just go to kind of our structured PvP area, and everybody is set to kind of have access to all the exact same things as each other. So that there's no. Um, it's all about skill and skill in making your character build, as well as skill in executing and playing that character build in PvP. Um, we do have a few skills that we have um, uh, different PvE and PvP balance. We try not to make it a completely different skill, but a good one is um, there is a condition in the game, which is like a negative um, thing that you can get put on you, that's called confusion. And what that does is whenever you attack, it um, does damage to you. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, that's obviously a player who has that on him can sort of recognize it and stop. And it's very, very much harder for us. Either monsters recognize it and stop all the time, or they sometimes recognize it. And so those are two very, very different situations. And so we have balanced the damage on that skill differently. But um, players should be able to recognize it if they've played one, either PvP or PvE, and they go to the other. Um, but the balance will be slightly different. We do the same thing for like crowd control skills, like stuns and, and fear and, and things like that, where we have different duration on them um, for PvP versus PvE. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, during the, the betas, uh, I can imagine... Um, that must be invaluable for you guys to see the PvP, especially the realm versus realm stuff, uh, with larger numbers. Like, is that is that a lot of what you guys have been looking at during the the beta weekends you've been doing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we um, have that that information has best been invaluable. Um, we have a you know an ongoing kind of um, test behind the scenes where we have um, uh, we call them alpha testers, even though they're not it's not alpha anymore. But um, we have you know our our own set of testers that can play the game all the time. But the environment is is different. You can't you can't really. Um, you can't really even even in beta we're we're seeing more of it but you can't really simulate someone playing a game for real kind of right like right. people make different decisions when their character is a long-term character that they're going to keep versus when they kind of think of it as a short-term character and so um and the the same thing is you know the population of the world really matters um with with how well the game plays 
And so uh, these these beta weekends have been just invaluable from both a you know a technical standpoint of making sure our game can handle it as well as just um, a gameplay standpoint. I think um, this is a little bit counter to the way most MMOs play, but uh, it's kind of interesting that it is. Um, I think our game plays better the more players are in an area. Um, up to a certain point, I think you can get overloaded, but I think it it because of the way we do all of our mechanics, the game is just more fun when there are more people around. And um, I don't think that's necessarily the case in a lot of other MMOs. And so one of the things that's been interesting is seeing that kind of evolve um, through the beta weekend events. Now, can you tell me what kind of things you guys have learned from the beta? Like, like have you had to make any changes? Has there been any, have there been any unexpected lessons from the beta weekends? Uh, there were there were there have been a couple. So um, one of the big ones was um, just our the size of our worlds. Um, so what what you would normally think of as a server in a typical MMO we call a world um, because we're difficult like that. And we like to call things by <laughs> by different names, um, but uh, um, we call them worlds. Um, we learned things like our our world limit was was probably too low. Um, based on the kind of population that we want to see of players in the maps. And so that's one of the things that we're increasing. Um, we saw things like um, uh, our overflow servers, which were kind of a way that we have of dealing with um, uh, dealing with other players. We went into the weekend thinking, because we'd only ever experienced like what, having one version of a map, like one additional overflow version of a map. And then we went into um, that first beta weekend event and we had, you know, 40 versions of a map. And suddenly when you have 40 versions of a map that your friend might be in, um, it's a very, very different experience than if you have one version. And so we had to do a bunch of um, work to add um, the ability for people to travel to the overflow instance that or the overflow um, server that uh, their friend is in and in letting you know exactly where your friend is and, th- and things like that. So, Now, aren't you uh, just supposed to work this stuff out after launch, though? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Ho- hopefully not. Now, McMaster, I want to let you, if you have any whiny MMO player uh, complaints, McMaster, I want you to bring them up as well. Uh, but I've got one more to throw at you real quick, Eric. You ready for this one? Sure. I can't keep track of all my skills when I get to be high level. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, that that one can be that one can be pretty tough, and I know there are some people who really prefer that. That was one of the uh, one of the things with the first Guild Wars that we had to sort of really explain to people was, um, no, we're not going to add more slots onto the skill bar, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> um, and so um, for Guild Wars two, we've we've had very you know similar reactions where people um, this is sort of one of the the fundamental design principles of more is not always better, and. Uh, uh, one of the things that we've tried to do with with Guild Wars 2, um, just like in Guild Wars 1, is sort of give you a limited number of things to pay attention to. That's one of the, the main resources that any player has is kind of their ability to process um, discrete bits of information. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we don't want to overtax that. Um, but, but we believe that for the most part... Um, in those games where you have, you know, 40 skills on screen, you tend not to use all 40 of them at a time. And so what we've, a lot of what we've done is try to, um, try to make those things a little bit more, um, a little bit more context sensitive with, you know, our weapons, the skills being tied to weapons and you switching weapons and then it changing your first five skills or even doing things like interacting with, um, 
you know, an object in the world and having it change your skills so that we're, we're always giving the skills to you in kind of uh, short, shorter, discrete bunches instead of giving you, you know, 50 at a time. Yeah, they're like they're like little chunks. Like it's sort yeah. of like I, I've always got my healing slot skill. I've always got my weapon skills, uh, my underwater skills. Like they're little groups that I can wrap my head around more easily. Uh, yeah. I, I recently tried to get some, some friends who are kind of casual gamers into Guild Wars 1. Uh, and that was just kind of like we, you know, they were okay with this idea of you're only going to have so many skills at any given time. But then once they looked at the list of skills that they could put into those slots, some of them kind of overloaded, especially when I pointed them to the, like the merchant. It's like, okay, you here are the skills you start with. Now, if you go over here, there are another like 50 you can buy. And some of them just, they blew their fuses at that point. Uh, so, so I can clearly see how with, with Guild Wars 2, it's like... It's like you said, they're in little discrete b- bunches that are much easier to manage. Um, yeah. Uh, McMaster, do you have any whiny MMO player complaints that you would like to direct at Eric? <clears throat> sure. I'm tired of playing monthly fees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these are so easy. Um, <laughs> I know. Huh? Yeah. It's softball, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is true. It is softball. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's... that's um, that's one of the things uh, that I think a lot of players uh, that has resonated with a lot of players for us is and and you know it was one of those things where um, uh, monthly fees for some games are justified because they actually give you um, a lot of stuff per month. There are some games out there that really really do give you you know fifteen dollars worth of stuff every month. Um, sure. But for but for a lot of games, it's kind of it's kind of just a an empty promise, right? Like it's, uh, you pay $15 a month and what do you actually get? Um, the servers keep running and you know, the, uh, you have GM support and things like that. Well, those things don't really cost that much. Um, you would hope that you're getting continued, um, you know, development of the game. And we, um, prefer to go to a method where, um, you know, we kind of have to earn our money, um, in a way like we, we, um, put out expansions, and if people don't like what's in the expansion, they don't have to buy it. We put out, you know, things. You know, we have a um, uh, uh, what we call a gem store um, in our game that people can use real money and um, can buy, you know, cosmetic upgrades and cool little toys and things like that in the game. And basically, what that does is it it incentivizes us to keep those things fresh, and it incentivizes us to have to keep adding new things to the game. And and so I think um, you know not having a captive audience is generally good for um, the people who are who are paying. And then of course you know microtransactions. I know Tom, I've seen you um, be very disappointed with them in in, in a lot of different games. Mm-hmm. Um, there are definitely ways to do just about anything wrong and ways to do it right. And hopefully we're we're on the side of doing things right and we're we're not making them things that um, are too intrusive or that you absolutely have to buy in order to play the game. So Well, let me tell you two things that you guys are doing that make me, and I, I don't know because one of the things that I haven't seen during the beta is I haven't really looked at what's in the gym store. Uh, so I'm not clear on, on exactly what you guys are doing, but I am clear on there are two reasons that I'm currently not predisposed to be irked at, at you guys' gem store. One of those reasons is that um, it's not a subscription fee game. Like I, I you know, I'm, I'm really liking a lot about Secret World right now, the MMO that, that EA and Funcom just released. But I can't help but feel like I'm, I'm getting milked a little bit when there's a subscription fee and a retail package and real world money microtransactions. Uh, it's ludicrous. Yeah, but, but so, so right off the bat with Guild Wars 2, there's not that subscription fee. So I feel a little bit like okay. You, I'm buying the retail package, 
but I'm not having to pay a subscription fee, so therefore the real-world money sales, that's okay. But the other thing that I like even more, and this is a weird psychological thing, Eric, um, mm-hmm. when a game like uh, League of Legends, for instance, lets me grind in-game uh, by basically buying stuff, earning in-game resources that I can use to buy stuff that I might also buy with real-world money, when it lets me sort of supplement my real-world money with stuff I've earned in the game, I, again, feel a lot more goodwill in that I can either spend $10 to buy this really, really cool thing that I want, or I can spend, you know, a 1,000 hours of game time. Uh, and it's not realistic to spend a 1,000 hours of game time, but I know psychologically, hey, if I wanted to, I could do that. So if I'm not mistaken, uh, you guys are taking a similar approach with the gym store in Guild Wars 2, right? Like a lot of the stuff that I can buy with real-world money, I can also grind in-game to earn resources to buy. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, pretty much everything that you can um, in, in get in a gem store, you can do that with. Um, one of the reason for that is because we um, have a have a gold to gem exchange that um, where players can um, take gems or gold and sort of trade with other players um, to convert them. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's true if you're uh, a person who has an awful lot of time to spend. And you want to um, get something in the gem store, you know, like you're a college student or or something like that. You can you can go play the game, um, you know, get gold out of the game, and then go trade that for gems, and then do things like buy upgrades to your account that you would otherwise never have been able to get. And uh, by that same token, if you're somebody who, um, you know, has extra money and you don't want to spend a bunch of time to, um, you know, get something with gold, you can go ahead and do the opposite. So right, right. Um, McMaster, I have one last wine that I want to throw at Eric. Before I go, did you did you have anything else? Uh, go ahead and throw your wine out there. I'm thinking. Okay, here you go, Eric. And this one actually, this is this is not me role playing. This is actually Tom Chick. This is my this uh, is real okay. wine. Uh, and uh, here we go. Why the freaking heck won't ArenaNet announce a release date already? For Pete's <laughs> sake. Now, now you guys ruined that. I can't whine about that anymore recently uh, because, what was this, two weeks ago you guys announced, was it? Yeah, something like that. I think it was two weeks ago. It feels like a long time ago, but I think it was only two weeks ago. Part of why it feels like a long time ago is it seems like it just took you guys for freaking ever to announce. Like, is that just yeah. me? Is it just like me thinking I really want to play Guild Wars 2 for real? Uh, was there really... Did it take you? Why did you guys take so long to announce the release date? Um, I mean, to be honest, it's because we didn't really know exactly when the release date was. We we definitely you know people. A lot of times, will say that, and people will say, "Oh, come on, you guys have internal development schedules. You have to know." Well, right. we, we 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 do know in a very loose way, but what we didn't know was um, we didn't know. You know, we we needed to do these beta weekends. We needed to get all of those people into the game and see how the game ticked and and all of that before, because because we very much don't want to um, invest five years in something and release it three months early, um, or you know invest um, you know uh, how how many ever many um, you know uh, amount whatever money amount that we've invested in at this point. Um, I'm not entirely sure and and you know, kind of blow that by releasing it a, a couple months early. And and um, the big thing that we know is we're not competing with, um, you know, uh, the World of Warcrafts of the world and how they released. We're competing with the state that they're in now. And those games have had a ton of time to uh, stabilize and bug fix and, mm-hmm. you know, become feature rich. And there's, you know, it, it's it's not like we're going to compete with, with the way that the state they were in when they released. We compete with whatever state they're in now. And so we needed to, we knew we needed to release a game 
that was kind of bulletproof, um, as far bulletproof as an MMO can get. Um, sure. you know, MMOs are, are huge and, and it's difficult to not have any bugs, but, um, we needed to get to the point where we knew that before we could re- announce a release date because we just didn't want to be tied to something and then, you know, have to push it back and be, or be accused of lying or, or any of the bad things that can come with missing release dates. Right. Well, uh, on this podcast, we all show up with a news story of the week and a game of the week. So your news story of the week, which is two weeks old, but still very important, (laughs) is specifically what? Give me what day can I sit down for finally and start freaking playing Guild Wars 2? So you can start playing Guild Wars 2 on August 28th. Um, nah, not good enough. Give me. I want in a little, a few days earlier. If, what? if you pre-purchase the game, then you mm-hmm. can start on. You can have a three-day head start and start on the 25th. Okay, I'm putting that on my calendar. So don't you guys go and change your mind or anything. Oh, we won't. We won't. <laughs> uh, what is it like there at ArenaNet now that you guys have a release date? Like, is it? Are things crazy? Is it like settling down? What, what's what's day to day? operations like at ArenaNet now? Uh, things are always kind of crazy at ArenaNet, but um, uh, it's it's um, it feels good because, you know, a lot of us have been working for, for the last four or five years. This is the longest game project I've ever worked on, and it's just starting to feel nice to um, know that you're going to be um, finished, at least with the initial release. Now, for an MMO, we don't, that doesn't mean, doesn't mean we right. get to, like, relax. <laughs> we, get, we, we get to go into the next phase of development, which is supporting the heck out of the game once, you know, it comes out. Um, but, uh, but it feels really, really good. Um, it feels, you know, uh, I think it's a really, really great game, and I think it, it um, is a game that everybody who's worked on it can be very, very proud of, and so it, it always feels good. To, to kind of have that feeling toward the end of development of a game. And I think the, the length of development that we've had on this project just makes it all that much better. And as far as announced beta weekends, do you guys have uh, what, one more, two more? What, what's going on between now and release? So we have we have one more beta weekend event, which okay. is um, the 20th of this month. So um, it's basically a week from this Friday. And, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be the same length of time. It'll start, um, Friday at around noon, although we tend to open things a little early and, um, go till Sunday at midnight. So good. Yeah. All right. So, uh, that's big news of the week, even though from two weeks ago, I've been just so glad to, to hear about that. I'm looking forward to the 25th. Uh, McMaster, what news of the week do you have that tops that? Uh, I don't know if it tops that. But my news of the week is uh, the new kind of game console. Have you guys heard about this, the Ouya? Yeah, I, did, I didn't know how to pronounce it until you just said it. Yeah, I didn't either. I like it. At the bottom of their Kickstarter page, it has like a pronunciation guide. So I uh, I kind of cheated, to be fair. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, uh, the Ouya is a new game console. It's going to be based on the... Uh, Android platform costs 99 bucks. Come with a controller. You can plug it into your television, and developers can sell games directly to uh, gamers instead of having to go through publishers and a closed platform. And when is this launching? That's a good question. Now, they're saying September for some of the, the rewards, or they maybe March. Uh, yeah, no, it looks like, like March, actually, is their delivery. Um, but uh, it has quite a few interesting little options. Like, there's a few packages they offer on their site for developers where they'll, where they'll like, help you promote your game for a year and that sort of thing. It's uh, pretty cool. Uh, have there been any uh, titles that will come with the launch that make you – because for me, I couldn't care less about a platform. I just want to know what's on it. Uh, is there anything that we know that's going to be on the Ouya 
that makes it where it's something that I should be interested in. Yeah, now I I don't know like exactly right off, but I know that a ton of indie games uh, developers have commented on it. In fact, Mojang was talking about uh, moving to it, that kind of thing. Ah, yeah. okay. So a little Brian Brian Fargo gave it a big thumbs up, you know, uh, that kind of thing. And also, in their first day, they like doubled their goal. They're at three point four million in funding right now, and uh, they have twenty eight days to go. So if you want to get in on a console for like a hundred bucks and seems pretty cool, go check out the Ouya. By the way, it's spelled O U Y A. That sounds suspiciously French. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> oh, whatever. I've seen your picture. I know you have a beret. Uh, Eric, can we play Guild Wars Two on the Ouya yet? Um, I would guess not. Okay. But uh, yeah, I um, think the Ouya might not have that kind of graphical processing. Yeah, it might. <laughs> You could probably, I don't know, maybe there'll be a new Defender Chronicles game on there or something for you, Tom. Now, don't get me started. I would now I'm interested in the Ouya. If <laughs> I will get a, I will get something that'll let me play Defender Chronicles two on my TV. I'm down with that. Well, they they do mention a lot on the site. I was looking at a little bit about how it's closer in kind of the development um, and the sort of game experience that you get on something like you know an, an iPhone or an iPad or something like that. Um, yeah, that that you know you're going to see a lot of people. Porting some sm- putting some small games and developing some smaller games on it and and taking advantage of the fact that you've got a controller and a TV. Yeah, I'd totally play Defender Chronicles three on on that too. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, and one thing that's really cool about it too is they they purposely say that you can root it yourself and do whatever, and rooting the device won't void your warranty. You know, it's easy to take apart, easy to screw around with. Uh, they're going to have stuff like Twitch TV, uh, Twitch TV, uh, so you can watch like League of Legends and StarCraft maps on your TV or matches on your TV and stuff. That's cool. All right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. The ooh yeah. All right, McMaster. Thank you for that one. Uh, sure. I got one that tops that. You ready? No. <laughs> I don't well, know. Okay. That, I don't know that this tops it. Uh, and there's very little information about this, but uh, Variety somehow managed to unveil what Rocksteady's next game is. Rocksteady are the folks that what? did. Uh, they did uh, Batman: Arkham City and uh, Batman: Arkham Asylum before that. Um, so Variety had a little story where uh, they they let slip that Rocksteady's next game, and I don't even think it has a name, is based on the Silver Age of DC Comics heroes. Uh, yeah. Oh. yeah, so it'll, it'll be... So here, I can read you the sum total of everything we know. Basically, it was a full Variety story, but there are only Ooh. two paragraphs of information, and here we go. Variety has learned that Warner Brothers Interactive is expected to reteam DC Comics characters in some form for the next installment in Rocksteady Studios' video game series that began with Batman Arkham Asylum and Arkham City. New, highly stylized title. And I don't know how they know that, but that's uh, that says a lot right there. Uh, is being developed as a prequel that revolves around Batman's first meeting with the Joker. It is based on the Silver Age of DC's comics from the 50s, where the Caped Crusader teamed with heroes like Superman and founders of the Justice League of America. Uh, and what Variety is opining is that this is part of DC and Warner Brothers laying groundwork for a Justice League movie. Uh, because of the success of the Avengers, that's Marvel's heroes, of course, uh, as a movie. Uh, now DC is thinking, well, hey, we need to get some 
some mind share going for the Justice League so that there can be a Justice League movie at some point. So uh, Rocksteady Studios is you know, taking their Arkham City formula and using it for what is a brighter, cheerier, sort of more innocent 50s era silver, I think, uh, uh, silver age DC comics. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, in in the the way that Variety writes and the, their Variety speak, which is very Hollywood speak, they say that um, new game would likely bow in 2014. I don't I don't know the game's bow, but that's how that's how they talk about movies. Um, <laughs> Dulang. Yeah, it would likely bow in 2014, uh, and they point out that the title was not discussed during the E3 games confab. And I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Confabulation? I don't know what that is. Uh, because Warner Brothers was focusing on unveiling Injustice, which is this fighting game with uh, DC characters. Uh, so there we go. 2014, maybe a new Rocksteady title with a, a lighter bent. Um, do you guys... And, oh, go ahead, Master. And some Green Lantern. Green Lantern, isn't that... Doesn't uh, He's the guy that uh, Seth Rogen played in the movie, and his sidekick is Kato, right? I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> uh, is is Silver Surfer Marvel, or is that DC? I'm pretty sure it's Marvel. Oh, it's uh, Marvel. Okay. You, you would see Silver Surfer in, like, the Avengers movie, that big... Uh, wasn't oh, that... A, yeah, no, the, he's like the herald for Galactus, the big planet-eating uh, dickhead. Well, the reason I know that, Ringmaster, actually, now that you mentioned that, he's on one of the, uh, the Marvel pinball tables. So, yeah, of course he's Marvel. Uh, so, just... Yeah. Justice League is like like Superman, Batman, you mentioned Green Lantern, uh, Wonder Woman, right? Yeah. Don't forget Aquaman. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who would forget Aquaman? Uh, Everyone. <laughs> uh, and who else? Is Justice League like just those five, or is it more than that? Uh, no, there was a few more. I'm trying to think, though. Uh, it's been a while. They've had a lot of different members. Yeah. They, have, uh, they have a character called uh, Zatanna, who uh, speaks cast spells by speaking backwards. <laughs> Wait, so I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, Zatanna, Anta, Anta, Wait, yeah. wait. <laughs> Anataz, I guess. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. He's, he's, yeah. he's, he sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a she. It's oh. a she. Uh, way, but, way to go, Tom. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I mean, uh, the thing that I find interesting about the Silver Age thing is um, the Silver Age... I mean, it's more than just um, a little bit lighthearted. They they had some really campy, silly um, characters in sort of DC Comics Silver Age. So it's interesting to because you know Arkham Asylum and Arkham City are very dark. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm interested yeah. to see how well they pull off that kind of if they try to embrace the campiness of it. Well, you know, you yeah. mentioned that Eric, and what it, what what I immediately think of are the Freedom Force games that Irrational did yeah. Yeah. That, that had this very cheerful, good natured sensibility to them, which was very Silver Age. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, I love those games. Yeah. Whenever we have Levine on, we're gonna have to ask him where's the next one. Uh, I also think of as far as open world games, like even a game like Saints Row Three, which is very over the top and kind of cheerful. Um, it, it's still very informed by this action movie sensibility, um, but. But to have an open world game that's that's just really friendly and and more happy go lucky, I think of that's it occurs to me that's one of the things I really really enjoyed about Lego Batman Two, uh, in that it's an open world game, but it's just even, and even though it's Gotham, uh, you know it's it's just very friendly and happy and cute and adorable, and there's no sort of grimness or earnestness to it. Uh, so I'd love to see Rocksteady try that with an open world game. You know, you missed a couple of very famous members of the Justice League, Tom. Okay, who did I miss? He missed the Flash. 
And then Martian Manhunter. How can you hurt the Martian Manhunter like that? Now, so does he hunt? He hunts <laughs> men? Why is he hunting men? And he's from Mars? Yeah. Also the Green Arrow. Green Arrow. Hawkman. Is... Nobody cares about Hawkman. Okay. All right. No, those are good. Those are good, McMaster. Uh, well, the, you know, the thing is, so I, I was never that into Batman Minutia. Uh, until until playing some of the Rocksteady games. Like, they do a great job of bringing that lore and minutia out and yeah. making you sort of care about it and expressing it in cool gameplay moments. Um, so this stuff you're telling me now, McMaster, I whatever. But uh, I, I trust Rocksteady could maybe make me care about it. So, good. Well, yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, Aquaman, maybe not. But we'll see. <laughs> why, why does everyone hate Aquaman? Seriously, because I, I actually kind of know that people are down on Aquaman, but why? Okay, so on this team, I mean, honestly, on the team, there's Superman. You don't really need anybody else because he's the stupidest hero ever made. It's like Mr. Magic Ass. I can do, I can do everything, fly around the world, make it go you know, backwards, turn back time. It's just so stupid. And everybody has kryptonite, which can kill him, which blew up you now a million years ago, really, really far away. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, but you have Superman, you have Batman. You have Wonder Woman. She has a magic lasso and an invisible jet. That's pretty awesome. You have the Martian Manhunter. He's Martian. And then you have Aquaman. His power is he can breathe underwater and talk to fish. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know about you, but there, how much crime do you think he can tackle? McMaster, I don't know if you know. Let me just throw a figure at you. Here we go. I knew, I knew this was coming. 70% of the world's surface yep. is, is covered <laughs> in water. Who are you going to yeah. turn to when you're on that 70% and you need help? There you go. Um, I don't know. The Coast Guard. I mean, <laughs> somebody that can't talk to fish. I mean, oh, my God. It's so useless. Can he talk hey. to mammals, too? When you say fish, are you just... You just no. Like, he can talk to mammals, right? Like, no, like whales. Talk to sea. Yes, he can talk to anything in the sea, basically. How awesome is that? What the heck? What, a shark. He could fight, he could have a shark show up with him, McMaster. What's the matter with well, you? This isn't like Jaws 4 or whatever, where the damn thing swam up a like freshwater river to Detroit or whatever it was. I mean, it, it's just it's a limited use when a lot of crime takes place on land. You know what, McMaster? I want to hear you talk talk trash about Aquaman when he shows up with a great with a, a, a giant squid in tow. Then what are you going to do? See? Well, prob- probably watch it get covered in gravel and die. <laughs> you, I don't know. Uh, Eric, weigh in on Aquaman. I'm pro-Aquaman. McMaster's got some weird anti-Aquaman agenda. <laughs> Eric Flanham, where do you fall on Aquaman? Uh, I'm generally pro-Aquaman, but I like silly superheroes. So, um, <laughs> so But uh, they've been trying to make Aquaman more hardcore the entire time. Like I think at oh, one yeah. point they had his hand get eaten by piranhas. Yeah, um, he's, he's got then, like some sort of hook or yeah, something. And then he, and they put a trident on, trident, his, on yeah. his stump. Yeah, so <laughs> I can't t- I, now. I can't tell if I'm supposed to think that's stupid because I kind of when you say that, Eric, I think yeah. that sounds cool. I don't know if I'm doing it wrong, but that kind of oh. sounds cool to me. <laughs> Tom, you just then, don't understand comics. Then, it's all then, right. you, then you probably would really like Aquaman. Yeah, uh, probably also, Mr. I have to say my. My frame of reference is the man from Atlantis. You guys, I don't know, you guys are probably a little too young to remember who that is, but Patrick Duffy played this, like, underwater superhero, and the way he would swim is he would, like, writhe his body like he was doing some kind of, like, pop-lock dancing underwater. Um, I No, weird. That was freaky, and anybody who can, like, marshal the underwater forces without looking as weird and dopey as Patrick Duffy and Man from Atlantis, I'm totally on board with that. So, 
So, all right. Strange, strange justification. We know, McMaster, there's two pro Aquaman, one anti Aquaman. You're outnumbered, so that's that's settled. All right, all right. We'll see. We'll see how much your Aquaman helps you in the desert. <laughs> well, I just don't go in the desert, see. Well, you better not. Uh, speaking of desert, let's talk some games of the week because I happen to know I have it on good authority that one of us has chosen a desert-themed game of the week. <laughs> Uh, but before we get to that, McMaster, what is your game of the week? Oh, just jumping the gun, going straight to the good stuff. I understand. It's like dessert before dinner. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, my game of the week uh, this week actually is Magic 2013. That's, I, uh, that's one of those card games, right? Yeah, yeah, one you seem to hate. Yeah, No, I'm just kidding. You actually were quite fond of it because of your obsession with, what, the new Planescape mode? I, I like the way it kind of breaks the game. So so explain to us what is Magic 2013 and what makes it your game. Um, well, Magic 2013 is, what, the third title, right? Because they had, what, 2012, the original, and now this one. So uh, it's the third title from uh, Wizards of the Coast uh, for their Magic games. And, they, and they're kind of like pre-built deck games where you have to... You, you have, like, limited amount of control over what cards are in it. So... Once you go through uh, and like unlock some decks, you can play different you know players to unlock more cards and customize them. But uh, one thing that I really like about it uh, is something I've liked about all their games is the uh, campaign mode, where you get to play different uh, challenges and different bosses and different decks for uh, you know to go through this different campaign or through this campaign, which unlocks a reverse camp or a revenge campaign. And uh, it it adds a lot of uh, variety to the game, and uh, it's uh, it's pretty interesting. But I I know Tom uh, was fond of Plane Chase, which is uh, one of the new things they added. Um, supposedly, actually, it's an older uh, game that they've kind of repurposed. Uh, but it, it uses larger cards that kind of set overall uh, effects for the table. And each time it's your turn, you can roll a die that comes with the game for the chance to either trigger a special effect or go to the next plane. And once you roll that die, uh, it's free the first time, or you can pay one mana to roll it again, two mana to roll it for an, uh, you know the third time, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah. I, I, what I like about that is I think one of the, the central tenets of good game design is you make a rule and then you break that rule. For instance, uh, in a Super Mario Brothers game, uh, you're you're walking along with Mario, and he can only jump so high. So you're playing the levels, and you can only jump so high, and that's what you're doing. But one of the cool things that a game like Mario does is he can eat a mushroom, and now he can jump even higher. They're throwing in things that break the rules. And Magic, for so long, has just been, for, for me, it's it's been like so codified in these basic rules of, of blocking, and then there's flyers that can go over some things, and... Then they have like uh, all the all the things with like the blue powers to subvert and the black regeneration. Like all that has been in there for so long, and you build your deck, and those are the rules you're playing with. I love how that plane chase just throws wrenches in the works, uh, and not just the dice because dice inherently are unpredictable. You don't know that that just adds a crazy element of randomness. The cards already add an element of randomness, and now there's a whole new deck that breaks every single rule in the game that can subvert every single mechanic you were counting on with your deck. And I love that kind of chaos introduced into into magic. So, yeah, that's one of the things I really like about it. Uh, yeah, it's not bad. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of, like, four player like free-for-all kind of games of we magic. don't need that's that's another thing though is you don't need it like they had that crazy arch enemy mode in 2012 and 
that required four players. But one of the things I love about the plane chase mode is you can do that with just two players. You and I could play McMaster, and we could have that crazy deck of rule-breaking cards right in the middle messing up both of us. Uh, I, would, I would hate to hurt you, Tom. It, it might happen. I could take it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I would be happy to, I mean, but I just yeah, I want to warn you. <laughs> uh, Eric, are you much of a magic guy? Uh, I, I played Magic way, way back in the day, and um, I played um, a bit of the, I don't, I guess it's Magic 2011, uh, the first Planeswalker, yeah. when they started that, that format. And, uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I haven't gotten the successive ones just because I wasn't sure what they had added, um, you know, and Magic being Magic is kind right. of the thing, Tom, you're complaining about. Um, so it sounds like, like 2013 might be well, pretty cool to check out. So. Actually, uh, yeah, a big thing about 2013, uh, there's two. Two really cool factors, I think. One is that you can now set your difficulty level. Uh, and two, you can set your skill level so that the game will help you a certain amount or not. So if, if you were to learn how to play magic, like not learn how to play magic, or haven't learned how to play magic and wanted to, uh, then you could play the game and go through on an easier level and no big problem. Um, and yeah, it just uh, it's actually a pretty pretty deep product for them it's uh, it's big it feels bigger than the other ones for sure now mcmaster i just want to take issue real quick because you said it was like the third magic product uh there, there have been there by are... them. oh by this developer okay fair enough right right yeah not microfrost that's my personal favorite magic game ever is uh, uh god what was it it was uh duels of the ancients wasn't that the uh add-on i know they had the arabian knights plus Antiquities add-on. No, I'm thinking way back to the one that Sid Meier worked on that had that whole... Was it open world? Or it was like an RPG where you just ran around yeah. a world and you collected cards no, and made your yeah. deck. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. That was uh, That's what I'm talking about. I actually still DOSBox that every now and then. It's one of my favorites uh, because it actually has all the cards that I started playing with. Uh, and I'm familiar with it. And uh, they changed a lot of magic over the years. I mean, I, I haven't played the actual card game since... I don't know for probably ten years, right. but man, I played a bunch of the virtual. Well, one of the one of the problems with the older one that they address with these newer magics, and one of the reasons that I would recommend Magic 2013 over something like DOS boxing, that great Sid Meier one, uh, the AI really doesn't understand with that 2013 one. Where you, I mean, with the original Sid Meier one, where you could just have yeah. any, any crazy card combos, the AI just cannot keep up with all of that. But with 2013, or with the last three products that they've made, with That's these, smart. well, they they sort of script what the decks can be. Like the, you can only do, you can't put these crazy combinations together. There's plenty of leeway. There's like wiggle room, but because the decks are kind of scripted, the AI they they teach the AI how to use certain card combos, and it, it just feels much smarter and more efficient. It's actually playing the game that's that, as it's designed. It's it's confounding sometimes. Yeah. Actually, it's incredibly confounding. Like the challenges, I really like, but they're also kind of irritating. Uh, you know, what I'm talking about Tom, the ones where you have to play uh, against like. I don't know. There's one in the campaign, for instance, one of the first ones, you stumble into a bird's nest, and it's just like they constantly cast, like, one casting cost uh, uh, flyers over and over again at you, and you have to just uh, overcome the army of, like, some, like weenie deck kind of creatures. Well, and those, yeah, that's, that's, those are like little puzzles that it's, right. it's, it's teaching you, like, here are some of the gimmicks and tricks that you can do. And if you know magic, they're fairly easy to get past those, but it's a way to teach you, like, hey, some decks, you're just going to have little one-cost flyers uh, swarming you. Now figure out how to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah, I also like the ones where it gives you, like, one turn 
to figure out how to beat an enemy that's like overbearing on you and stuff like that, it, it's also kind of a puzzle that way. Like a chess puzzle, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, so uh, McMaster uh, Magic 2013, your game of the week. Uh, I will go next because I've got a similarly um, odd on, choice. Oh, yeah, just let me, uh, on the iPad, by the way. You can get it on the iPad. No, you can get it on the 360. Now you can get it on the iPad and Steam. I, I have both of those. Yeah. I don't have the 360 yeah. one. They have done a good job of, of moving it out amongst different platforms. Can you get it on, on the uh, Ooyah McMaster? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. I think you can get it right now. Uh, so my game of the week, also not available on the Ouya, is a port of a board game. Now, Eric, how much? So you, you did play Magic at one point. Are you much of a board gamer? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm a huge board game fan. So um, or like, is your, is your uh, Summoner Wars going to be your game? Oh, I cannot freaking stand Summoner Wars. <laughs> I really, really loathe that game, yeah. and it's 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 yeah. oddly irrational. But I, I, oh, I cannot stand Summoner Wars. Maybe that'll be my game of the week as something that I hate. But are, like, are you, are you into Summoner Wars, Eric? Like, um, I've played it a little bit. Um, I I haven't gotten into the the iOS version, and we I've played the. Uh, the board game a bit. Um, yeah. I own a copy of it, but it's not been one of our favorites. So, um, with the group that I play with. Yeah. So yeah, I was. I don't understand why people like. That. I mean, I guess maybe because they're little decks and they're self-contained, uh, like races, and maybe people who play with miniatures might like them. But I just the the gameplay is just so basic and. Oh god, that that game drives me crazy because I've been playing it on the iOS, trying to like it because it's a good port. I think like they've done a good job bringing it from the tabletop to the iPhone, but I just can't get around the fact that I loathe the basic game. Uh, so no, Eric, I'm afraid your yeah. guess is terribly wrong. Darn. <laughs> uh, so do you know a board game called La Havre? Uh, I know of it. I've never actually played it though. So it's a very Euro game, and mm-hmm. my theory is that it is based on. You have to tap into this kind of universal appeal. I say universal. I should say widespread appeal of of crafting. And there's a reason that crafting is in pretty much every MMO. Uh, and that is because I think that we like this idea of taking things and making them into new things. You know, it's not a cool boy thing like fighting or shooting guns or having battles or whatever, but there's something about, I'm going to take two pieces of wood and turn it into a table. And then I'm going to use that table as a workshop where I'm going to add two pieces of, of stone together and make better stone. And then I'm going to put a gem in it and it's going to turn into a flashlight. Like that's something that I think everybody can understand. And that is directly accountable for why, like, Minecraft is so incredibly yeah. successful. Yeah, and Legos. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Eric. Yeah, Legos, this idea of I'm going to take these little component parts and I'm going to make them into something more complex. Um, so what what I love about La Havre is that it builds on that concept. La Havre is all about you and some other players, you're sharing a pool of resources. And during my turn, I might take the wood, and then Eric, you can't take the wood because I took it all, so maybe you're going to take the bricks. And then it comes around to McMaster, and oh, he's going to take the fish. And it's my turn again, and we're, we're, we're sucking from this pool of replen- slowly replenishing resources. And the thing is, so we each get our little hoard going, and based on what's in our hoard... La Havre is all about playing these cards, and the cards represent the economy. So, for instance, there's a card for a wharf. When that card comes out, if you have the resources, you can you can convert them into a ship, and now you've got a ship. But if that card doesn't come out, you know, you're not going to be able to do that. Maybe instead the smokehouse came out, in which case I can smoke my fish, and now I have smoked fish. 
or maybe the furniture factory comes out and then I have to take wood and hides and then make them into furniture, which I sell for a lot of gold. So there's basic resources, but the rules that govern these resources, you know, the rules of the economy are based on this cool little card game. Uh, so there's a good iPhone port of it. I've never played the tabletop game. Uh, so I got the iPhone port and it, you know, it's got a good AI. It's got asynchronous play. Uh, and I just love it. it. Just taps into that that whole Minecraft idea of taking raw resources and converting them into increasingly complex, better stuff. So cool. You ever played a board game called uh, Seven Wonders? You know uh, what? I've tried it a few times, and it yeah. kind of bounced off me. But did you feel okay. like that does the same kind of thing? I feel like it has a lot of the elements you're talking about. But um, yeah, that taking components and building them, and kind of working from a common pool of resources. And there is, that yeah, that that whole idea of like passing the cards around, yeah. and deciding yeah. which one you're going to keep and which one you're going to get rid of. Yeah, yeah, and it definitely, yeah, yeah it's very much about drafting a deck. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I should give that another chance, but uh, yeah. Do you know Do you know Agricola at all, Eric? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There were some people at our office who were very, very into that. Um, so, yeah, would correct us. People would pronounce it Agricola a lot. <laughs> people would get mad. Yeah, hey, I, wait. Hear that, I hear that quite often. It's not Agricola. Is it really? It's Agricola. No, it? no, it's Agricola. It's, oh, okay. You, you have it right. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, so, so uh, La Havre is, is also by the same guy that did Agricola. So Agricola's got a more kind of friendly um, agricultural theme. It's much more pastoral. Uh, and it's not quite as cutthroat, uh, whereas Le Havre is more industrial, and you're competing in this little town. Uh, so does uh, does Agricola have a uh, iPad version? Probably not. I don't think so. It's a good question, McMaster. Uh, but I, I have it on good authority. You'll be able to play it on the Ouya. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> you, I'll play you in some Le Havre, though. Uh, Agricola, do you have Le Havre? I will. Oh, it is on. I will kill you on it. Oh, kill! It it is so on. All right, folks listening, uh, next week we will have an update for how badly I'm beating McMaster at La Havre. Tom's been shying away from playing me in things lately. I think he's scared. I've got him on the ropes, finally. What? I don't know where you get that I I won three Age of Empires games or something, so so it's like, my day is coming, Tom. It's coming. Wait, was I there when you did that? Oh, I may have unpaused the game while you're getting coffee. (laughs) Uh, All right, so uh, McMaster, you'll be into some Le Havre. That's my game of the week. Magic is your game of the week. So are you going to make it a trifecta, Eric, and bring up a board game port, a tabletop Um, port, as your game of the week? No, unless there's, yeah, not unless there's a really (laughs) weird board game out there somewhere. Um, Yeah, so my game of the week is um, Spec Ops The Line, um, which is a third-person shooter um, by 2K Games, um, and by the developer, I think they're called Jaeger, um, who's, I think they're a German development house, but it is a, um, I think, sort of done a disservice by how generic uh, military shooter namey it sounds. Um, and the the thing that I really, really like about it, um, I don't know, how are we on spoilers here? Um, you know what, if you don't want it spoiled, uh, fast forward a little bit. So okay. uh, yeah, so yeah. give it. I, I'm okay yeah. with hearing spoilers okay. because yeah, I, I am too. Yeah. I, especially okay. Eric, because I want you to to tell me what makes this game like different or special, and if that involves okay. spoiling it, so be it. Okay, yeah, I think it has to involve spo- involve spoiling it because even though the shooting mechanics are very well done and solid, I think that the thing that sets it apart is its story and what it tries to do. Um, in being an, uh, you know, there are a lot of games out there that are sort of claimed to be adult games, and what that usually means is they're um, 
you know, uh, sort of over the top violent um, for the sake of being over the top violent or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a game that I, I feel like, um, even though maybe they didn't always hit the right notes, um, is very much a game that's about kind of the ugliness of war and the and of violence. And um, I think it they successfully pull off quite a few kind of gut punchy moments in their um, in their story. Um, you know, I, I was talking about this game, um, with some people at work and there was a guy who's, um, a veteran, um, uh, you know, U.S. Army veteran. And he was basically talking about how, um, first off his criticism was that, you know, there's no captain in the, in the army who would make the decisions that this guy made that your main character makes, but, but also that the kind of character transformation that they did was really well done because he's seen that happen. He's seen it. Um, you know, people who are exposed to this violent and they, violence and they kind of get to a point where they snap and they can't handle it anymore. Um, and that's very much what the game is about. The game is about um, your main character making some bad, bad decisions and sort of descending into darkness and madness. And um, uh, they do it um, pretty effectively um, in a lot of ways. Um, there's um, a section where, um, in particular, there's a cutscene where... Um, your character has just done something horrible. I'm trying not to spoil it too much. And uh, the two guys who are with you, you have squad mates who are arguing about about it. And you see your character's, a shot of the, the main character's eyes. And his eyes, they do a really, really good job of animating it such that I was like, did my character just go nuts right there? I'm not entirely sure. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't say anything particularly crazy right away. Um, and they start seeping the, the sort of craziness in. They, they start changing the way that you react. Your character sort of verbalizes when you shoot someone or when you get shot. Um, and eventually you start hallucinating and doing all kinds of crazy stuff like that. But I felt like that was a really, really effective moment. Um, and it's, it's a thing that's, you know, difficult to pull off. And I don't think they, they do it all the way through. There are some things that, you know, they could have done maybe a little bit better. But I think for a game to try to do the things that this game tries to do is is really um, kind of rare in a game. So um, that's why I really appreciated it for, for what it attempts to be as much as for what it is. Now, you mentioned this, Eric, and it makes me wonder, uh, maybe they don't go this far, but there was a... Uh, Silicon Knights game, I think they did it, called uh, Eternal Darkness, uh, which was a horror-themed game, and they they played, they had all these gimmicks uh, based on like losing sanity, uh, and they, a lot of their things were kind of meta. They would make you think that your uh, your was it a Nintendo sixty four game? Uh, but anyway, they made you think GameCube, right? Like they made you think your system was locking up or your save got corrupted. Uh, but is it that kind of thing, like a sanity mechanic? It- it's not really a sanity mechanic so much as because the game is a very very linear game. It's it's not um, very open world at all. It's kind of a very linear, um, which is actually one of the things. Like if they had made it a little bit more open, I think they could have uh, more effectively hit hit home with some of their points. But they do things like um, the very first um, hint that you're going insane is um, the very first unsubtle hint I should say is. Um, you're at this point, and there are these um, guys in kind of this really heavy body armor, and they're very, very hard to kill. One of them is walking towards you, and he's got, you know, a saw, and he's shooting at you. And um, you'll pop out. It's a cover-based shooter, so you'll pop out from cover. You'll, you shoot him, he disappears, and there's a mannequin there. And you keep doing it, and he keeps <laughs> changing positions, and you're in this room full of mannequins. You're, like, in this deserted dress shop, and you're basically going, like, at first, you're like, what did, did that, what just happened there? And, and then eventually you're kind of like, wait a minute, like, okay, my character's hallucinating, he's seen things. Um, and they, they do things like that, um, uh, in a few places. There's another scene where, 
you knock an enemy guy to the ground and he turns into one of your squad mates um, who um, essentially your character stops and you kind of the the character's still your an enemy so he'll get up and shoot you and kill you but you kind of have to bash his face in with the uh their kind of finisher mechanic and uh you know uh your character has a particularly brutal finishing move in that particular moment where you just smash the guy's face in and then the guy who he looked like comes up to you and he's like what what just went on like <laughs> is everything going okay you know and and that sort of thing and and uh um, eventually, this is super spoiler, but eventually they reveal that there are a whole bunch of things that have been going on that are sort of indications that you're crazy that you didn't necessarily take it as a player as being indications that you're crazy. So there's a um, uh, there's a point soon after that point where I was talking about your character breaks, where you pick up this radio, and um, on the other end of the radio is the, the main bad guy that, that you um, have been looking for. And he talks to you through the rest of the game and seems to have a really unusual amount of knowledge about where you are and what's going on, even though there's no way he could. And you kind of accept that as a video game player because you've seen that mechanic before. But um, as uh, later on, it's revealed that was all in your head. You actually weren't ever talking to him. Your character was going through that conversation in his own mind. And uh, um, it, it was really interesting, I thought, because it was this thing that you didn't think twice about because it's a video game. And yet it was, you know, in a movie, if you had seen that, you would have been like, what's what's going right, on? Right. That, that's that's really strange. But because it was a game, you were kind of accepting of the fact that, well, this is a thing that games do. And yet they kind of subverted that whole thing. Um, and so I thought that was that was really well done and, and really clever. And, and the game has a lot of moments like that in the story. So that almost uh, makes me wonder, like, how do you feel about doing something like it, it sounds like it would work very well in like a horror game. Uh, and like like Alan Wake, I think, played with a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about them? Like, it, it seems like it's kind of pulling its punches by not being a full horror game, and it's putting that kind of mechanic in a game where it doesn't tradition where you don't traditionally find that kind of thing. Yeah, um, I mean, I think it makes it more effective because the game is. It's funny you described it as a horror game. Uh, the game very much at times feels like it's a horror game. The the things that you see and the things that you're going through are very very horrific and and. Um, the tone of the game is not is it's most definitely not you know you 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 see spec ops the line and you think you know okay this is going to be you know patriotic flag waving time um you know it takes place in dubai i'm pretty sure you're gonna you know kill a lot of you know arabs and and things like that um that's not what the game is at all like it 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 is um quite you know horrific and and uh they they do uh, play up kind of the the horrors of war as much as they as they possibly can and like I said I don't know that it's it's you know it's not apocalypse now um, but it's certainly trying to be the game equivalent of that and um, you know I, I like I said I I'm not sure that it succeeds on every single level as far as that goes but they're definitely trying and uh, you know I have to give them like a lot of props for for being a game that's actually trying to tackle some really kind of um, rough um, themes um, and doing it in a very um, kind of adult way. So. Now, so then, I presume the line is a reference to like the line between sanity and insanity. Is that yes? Because yes, I, yeah. I ne- that never yeah. would have occurred to me from the title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. me either. There, there is in fact um, there's multiple endings. Um, one of which, um, several of which result in your character di- in the main character dying at the end. And uh, there's a speech that the um, they they make a lot of uh, Apocalypse Now and Heart of Darkness kind of references. The uh, military commander you're there to rescue, his name is Conrad. 
and uh, yeah, and uh, right, like which is a pretty overt reference. And um, he has a speech that he goes over where he talks about um, uh, a slug on a how 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 the people in the you know people like he and the main character can never really go home because there's a line that they cross, and once you cross that line, you can never go back. And that's very much like one of the themes of the game is is there's a line that is crossed at a very specific moment in the game and and your character never recovers from that. So um, um, what determines the different endings? Is it like you get to a point and you press button one, two or three and get an ending or so? Um, so I, I, I could get really spoilery here. Do you want me to get really spoilery? Well, what, I, what I'm curious about, the yeah. reason I ask, Eric, is it a game yeah. that it wants you to play through several times to, to find the different endings? Um, or do you just go from a particular save and choose your different endings? They um, they give you uh, so you kind of go for it's very much the last part of the game is where you determine what ending you get. Okay. Um, it, there's a part where it flashes back. There are mul- multiple decision points in the game, and there's a point where it flashes back to um, kind of your decisions that you made in that game. But that's not really the ending. Um, it's kind of more like a little bit of a build-up to the end. Um, the end is actually determined by... Um, there's actually two endings, uh, two main endings, one of which branches into an epilogue, and then the epilogue itself can branch into three different things. Um, and so the ep- in the epilogue, uh, basically your character um, is is basically kind of just shell shocked and half crazed and and wanders out of this building and a bunch of U.S. soldiers approach you and ask you to drop your weapon and your response to that it determines which of the three endings you get from that in the epilogue. You know what? I don't. Um, I kind of don't want to yeah. know anymore now because you've yeah. sold me. You've definitely sold me. Okay. Uh, did you play The Darkness Two by any chance? I haven't. No, not yet. Because they did, I mean, it, it, it didn't have multiple endings, but they did some really cool things with the ending where you could make choices. And the idea is, like, if you make a certain choice, it's kind of a dead end, and it just shows you what would have happened if you'd done different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just playing with this idea of madness. Because I hear one of the complaints about it is that it's short, and I don't necessarily see that as a, as a drawback in some cases. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it took me about, I think, six or seven hours to, to get through it. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's, you know, dying a bunch. I'm not necessarily the best game player in the world. So, um, it, that was me dying a bunch and, and having to restart. So I imagine somebody who was really good, um, who didn't die very often would probably get through it in like five hours or something. But, um, I think it's a, a really impactful, you know, um, well done five hours of gameplay. So it, it really depends on whether you, um, you know, the, the length of time that you play is more important right. or not. Good yeah. to know. Good to know. And uh, do you care at all about the multiplayer? Is that anything you've looked at? I haven't even looked at it. I haven't okay. tried it at all. Okay. But I, you know, I'm usually a multiplayer gamer too. So, uh, what is your? Uh, so, so those are our games of the week. Uh, we have a little Spec Ops: The Line, a little La Havre, a little uh, Magic 2013. Uh, what else have you been playing these days, Eric? Uh, Dragon's Dogma. I, I know you guys haven't ever talked about that game on the show, but, uh, yeah, um, I love that game. Yep. Um, uh, I've been playing um, a little bit of Secret World, um, uh, which I know you guys have also been playing. Um, but how are you finding uh, Secret World so far? Like, what, what... Uh, I like it. Um, I I definitely miss some things, um, but I I. There are some things that I think they they do really really well. Like I think, um, you know, it's a very very kind of um, hardcore thing. But the things like you know the the um, Morse code. I don't know if you've gotten to that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you know, all of that stuff is is 
you know, it's pretty cool. Um, I, I yeah. do wish they would have would have helped me out a little with the Morse code, but. Uh, well, I get I get to things like that, Eric, and I kind yeah. of uh, I get to a point where I'm just like, ah, screw it, I'm just going to Google the answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, I just feel there are ways they could have sort of made that a little uh, gentler, maybe, or not quite so so harsh. Um, so, McMaster, I just did a quest that you had told me about. And it was only after I got stuck and gave up and Googled the answer that I was like, oh, yeah, McMaster was talking about this. And it's a quest where you have to die. Yeah, that's a tough one, dude. Uh, It's a very awesome quest, but it's like, yeah, I I had to look up what to do because, like, I I literally, uh, you know, spoilers, I literally puttered around trying to get into that damn gel cell for, like, 10 or 15 minutes before you know, killing myself, so... Well, what I was going to say is that, uh, you know, they, they didn't have to... Like, there are ways they could have prepared the player to know this is going to come up, and they could have yeah. guided you to knowing the solution. Like, it's kind of abrupt, and uh, I, I just feel that they could have guided players into some of these solutions a little bit better. And that Morse code thing, like, I, that's just... I, I, like, I don't even, I wouldn't even begin to know how to transcribe Morse code, much less like look, like you, I could look it up, but like I don't really hear dashes and dots. Uh, did you yeah. actually, did you actually do the Morse code, Eric? No, no. Okay. Um, I know I, a couple of guys that worked it. One of them who's a very, um, uh, he's a very audio visual kind of guy. He's like very sound oriented. He actually recorded it and um, <laughs> I think slowed the playback a little while he just transcribed wow. it. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's that level. And I think another guy had to listen to it. Like, um, one of the other designers had to listen to it. You know, I think he said like 10 times or something before he was able to transcribe it. And, and, uh, yeah, but it's, it's uh, just, it's so, uh, for lack of a better word, ballsy that they do that. Yeah, and yeah. I, you kind of, you kind of have to respect that. There's, I, I, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. There's uh, when you first get to Egypt, and this won't spoil anything, but there's a really cool quest uh, in the first area in Egypt that you're running around, you're doing the quest, and you do the first stage, and you get to the second stage, and then for the third stage, you realize that you were supposed to be paying closer attention in the first stage <laughs> because there are these codes, some of which are in like I don't even I wouldn't even know how to say it, in, like binary hex or something like that. They're like oh, yeah. stretches of information you were supposed to be getting there. And then looking up, and and you you've moved past them. So the thing is, you have to go back, and it involves kind of some platforming bits, and go back to these places where all these crazy codes are written out. And I kind of just feel like, you know what? I would have been okay with knowing, like if I knew that I was going to have to remember this binary hex code. I kind of wished you'd told me that beforehand, because I, I would have made a point. I would have known what I was in for rather than sort of being sucker punched with it later so- on in the quest. So it doesn't like uh, do the whole thing where it takes an image of it or something. You uh, you have to log onto one of the computers. Like I really love again kind of ballsy. Uh, uh, I love the fact that they have these little interactive computers. <laughs> and previously, like you just like look up a bit of information. But these were computers that you hacked, and you realized you just thought it was flavor text, just like you know stuff scrolling by. But later on, you were like, oh, that stuff on that computer. I was supposed to remember that or, or write it down. Uh, so you know what it, you know I admire I, I respect that they do that. It's so cool that they are are throwing such difficult challenges. So yeah, and so that's the thing with that one where you're supposed to die, McMaster. Like the idea is that they you, you do, when you're dead, you know you're you're doing you're, you're going back to your corpse like in World of Warcraft. Everybody knows that mechanic from MMOs. You're dead, sure. so you run back to your body and you reanimate. I don't feel like they've done a good job of letting you know that when you're in that dead state. There are things you can see and interact with. Like, I feel they could have introduced that concept earlier. 
because everybody thinks of it as, oh, this is a mandatory MMO concept where I have to get back to my body. Uh, and instead, the spirit world has cool stuff in it. And I, I didn't know that before this quest. Yeah. I, I've, yeah. been, I've got like th- over three days played on this thing. And I had no idea. Uh, so yeah, yeah, no, it's like, uh, you know, World of Warcraft had a few quests where you had to be dead. Um, I remember in the original vanilla game, uh, to do the molten core stuff, you had to talk to a guy as a ghost, but that's the only one I can really think of that does that. And it was pretty, you know, it was, it, it was pretty handholdy compared to Secret World, of course. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, what kind of build are you running with, Eric? Um, I'm probably running with a really terrible build. It's um, Assault Rifle and Sword, um, which doesn't... Uh, I'm a Templar, and I don't know if there are any um, decks that equate to those two I, I can uh, tell weapons. you firsthand there are not. You are not going to okay. get your, your advanced yeah. costume, because that's what I went with, and I was like, I, yeah. oh, there's got to be a deck for that, and there isn't. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. so I, I'm not entirely sure. I find myself relying on the sword more and more and more, so um, I'm, I'm thinking about... Maybe trying out the, um, I think it's Paladin that uses the pistols, um, sword and pistols. Right. Um, trying out something yeah. like that. Yeah, 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 you're in exactly the same place I was because yeah. I ended up dropping the assault rifle and then picking up something else. Uh, yeah. But I, I think one of the things that I've sort of discovered is that it can definitely pay off to put points into a third or fourth skill. You know, they encourage you to think of it as you've got two weapons that you're using, and that's what you put your points into. But the the passives that you can get from other ring, other parts of the ring, other weapons, you can yeah. still use those for some, some more optimized builds. So whereas before I was thinking, oh, every point I put into assault rifle is totally wasted, what I'm realizing now is that there are things deeper in the tree that I will want to work towards once mm-hmm. I've maxed out my, my other two weapons. And, yeah, don't forget about the miscellaneous green areas of the skill either. Like, those hold some stuff, and they, they, I don't really think they've uh, highlighted them well enough, but those hold some really cool... Uh, abilities. Those are all, though, basically uh, based on like threat and healing. Like, like those are for the traditional like grouping stuff. But like, you're right, McMaster. There are definitely things in there to pay attention to. But a lot of them are about things like managing aggro and 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 group healing and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of weird that they tuck those in the cracks between the the like like you would never know. As a matter of fact, in one of the patches, they put a, a text label on them. Finally. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh. That was pretty crazy. I'm just glad that the latest patch fixed several quests that I had to manually go and tweak, tweak before I could actually make it work. Um. But yeah, that uh, if they'd fixed the chat system though, I'd be much happier with the game. Well, they also did not fix the quest. I mean, I'm still Black House, which is one of my favorite quests, is still I th- as far as I can tell at this point, is now bugged on every server because I was I sat oh, there wow. I sat there for 45 minutes in general chat periodically typing because they do this weird thing where if a quest is broken on one, they call them dimensions. Yeah. You, you can get an invite to a group in another dimension, you'll find it fixed. But I sat there for 45 minutes before we recorded today, periodically typing into chat, can I get an invite from someone where Black House works, and I got nothing. And also, didn't they didn't respond to my petition? It's just so frustrating because I was just swinging through Savage Coast. I love Black House. I've done it once. Yeah, I just wanted to do it again. You know, that's that's how they build it. Is they have repeatable quests, and I wanted to do that one again. And it's freaking broken after the patch. So. Ah, don't get me started. The thing well, is, it wouldn't it wouldn't bother me so much if I didn't love the game. <laughs> you uh, you remember that uh, funhouse one, or like the carnival one, where you get hit by ambushers? Yes, the purple. They supposedly yeah. fixed that one. Uh, I also saw people kvetching about that today as well. Oh, that the ambushers man, weren't funny. So, uh, 
Uh, yeah, that was awful. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, overall, though, I'm really digging it, and it's. I think I'll be sticking That's with right. it. I, I can say this. I think I'll be sticking with Secret World at least through uh, August 24th. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Uh, well, Eric, thank you so much for hanging yeah. out with us today. Uh, I wish you guys the best of luck. Uh, you know what? If there's anything you can do to hurry up the uh, advent of August 25th, uh, I'd, I'd appreciate it if you'd look into that. And if you get Tom and I accounts, can you put his at half experience and mine at double experience, <laughs> at least for a couple of weeks so I can laugh at him? I, now, I think we immediately, uh, automatically have some kind of rule set on Tom's account. So yeah. awesome, awesome, thank you. Now I, I hate to say this, but uh, I have no desire to play the freaking beta weekend in Guild Wars Two because I find it so profoundly frustrating to to level up a character that I don't get to keep. I mean, bless y'all's hearts for for doing those beta weekends, and they the betas that I played made me realize I can't wait for this thing to come out, but now that I know that, I want no part of it until it's out. So Yeah, yeah. I, yeah I haven't had a chance yet. I cannot wait to try it out. Yeah. Well, I, I'll get you a, a beta key, Jason. So, uh, yeah, so you can play on the t- on the 20th um, yes. and, and figure it out and at least maybe figure out what kind of character you want to play and all that. So, and then um, But yeah, I, I feel the same way, Tom. I, I generally, when I go into MMO betas, um, I only go into ones where I know I'm not going to play them and then if I decide that I'm going to play it, I immediately stop playing. Yeah, well, you know, that's exactly how I was with the Secret World beta, is I booted up, I played just long enough to know, hey, I like this game, and then I turned it off and waited for it to launch. I remember that. I played a lot more of the beta than you did, and you've played a lot more of the regular game. Uh, Do you you have any sense for the size of, like, do you have the betas, as they've been going along, been getting bigger and bigger, Eric? Or are they just kind of, you throw open the gates, and however many people get in, uh, you stress test that? Um, so we we have kind of thrown open the gates. You know, we've done the the pre-purchase thing, and for the most part, the people in the betas are pre-purchase. I think we're we're giving away um, a lot of keys for this particular beta, for this last beta. So there'll probably be even more people. Um, like I think we gave away like thirty thousand keys through uh, Curse or some site, um, and then yeah, and uh, we're giving away you know I think just tens of thousands of keys. Um, in conjunction with this uh, with this beta, so um, it should be pretty big, and it's been getting they've been getting bigger and bigger. So, so basically, anyone who wants in on this this upcoming beta weekend just pre-orders the game and they're in. Yeah, yeah. If you if you pre-purchase the game, pre-purchase. Um, so okay, it's right. a little bit different than we're doing. Kind of a, a wacky thing where we're trying to um, kind of push pre-purchasing um, over pre-ordering. So. So pre-ordering is just putting down your five bucks at GameStop or yeah. whatever. Pre-purchasing yeah. is you get it. Is it directly from ArenaNet? Uh, you can do it through GameStop or you can do it through Amazon now. Um, it's basically kind of committing to, to buying the game a little bit more than. So I think in, in Amazon, for example, I don't think they actually um, charge your um, card immediately. But um, what they do is you've kind of committed to buying the game, and so if you don't physically go in and cancel, um, you'll get charged and the game will get shipped to you. Um, so I think that's the main difference. You know, like a pre-order, there's still, you know, if you don't take action, then uh, you won't get the game. Whereas I think pre-purchase is more like if you don't take action, you will get the game sort of right. thing. So, right. Good. Yeah. Well, uh, best of luck with the beta. I hope it doesn't yeah. blow up on you. Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, hopefully not. I don't I don't <laughs> think so. So we've, we've got a lot of confidence at this point. So. Uh, and finally, before you go, Eric, let me put you on the spot here. What's the best class in Guild Wars 2? 
Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, my favorite is Ranger. Um, Wait a minute, are, are you allowed to say that? Because is it, yeah. is it, you just now, that's like picking a favorite child, isn't it? It's, it's kind of true, but, <laughs> but, uh, um, I think everybody, everybody on the team acknowledges a different favorite class. Um, I've always really liked, um, sort of the ranged woodsman archetype, um, if you want to put it that yeah. way. The, uh, you know, rangers and other games and, uh, you know, hunters and things like that. Um, that's, that's kind of why I picked, uh, assault rifle and, you know, secret world was, was it was the most ranged kind of thing. If they'd let, let us have a bow, I would probably have picked a bow. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I always like that sort of thing. So, so I bet I know what class you are in Dragon's Dogma as well. Uh, yes, you would be correct. <laughs> yes. So I'm actually a magic archer right now. but uh, <laughs> Which is still, that's very ranger-esque. Yes, which is yeah. very ranger-esque oh, and yeah. very, very, very fun. Yeah. Um, locking on to, like, you know, every part of a cyclops and then shooting, you know, 20 <laughs> arrows at him. So it's oh, pretty yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Eric, thank you so much for being yeah. here. Uh, best of luck with the beta. And like I said, uh, I'm so psyched about the 25th. Uh, and you guys hang in there until then and uh, hurry up. Yeah, thank uh, you very awesome. much. Uh, for folks listening, uh, let's see, like us on Twitter, donate to us on Facebook, and follow us on PayPal. Uh, we'll be back next week, and you'll get to hear then how badly I beat Jason McMaster at La Havre. So we'll see folks then. And be glossed over.